Let us have a word of prayer. Eternal God, you promise never to break the covenant that you have made with us. Amidst all the changing words of our generation, may we hear your eternal word, and may we respond with faithful, joyful lives. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Our second lesson is the, from the 90th Psalm. I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible, but you might want to follow along in your pew Bibles because the King James sounds pretty stilted and um, you'll, you'll get it a little better. But I'm going to read it from the King James Version. It's found on page 929 in the Old Testament. I'm going to read from a Bible that was given to my grandmother, Anna, for whom I'm named, by my Uncle Ralph on Christmas 1923, when my grandfather, John, was pastor of First Methodist Church in Waycross, Georgia. And when I want to feel just grounded in this world, close to the generations that have come before me and deep in the promises of God. This is my go-to book, and I wanted to read from it today. And just another little personal note, in the Bible that belonged to my grandmother is my grandfather's bookmark, J.C.F., John Chestnut Flanders. And I'm also named for him, John, Anna, Joanna. Listen to God's word. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and saith, Return, you children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. There is sleep in the morning, they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withered. For we are consumed by thy anger, and by thy anger are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For our days are passed away in thy anger. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut up off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thy anger, even according to thy fear? So is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be 
Believe it or not, this psalm is often read at memorial services and funerals, as is the beautiful passage from Ecclesiastes that we use to call ourselves to worship today. Wisdom from the Hebrew scriptures. This psalm is full of light and darkness, a reminder that we do live our lives before God and that we are accountable to God for how we live each day. But I'm drawn to the psalm because of its philosophical perspective as we contemplate the reality that all human life comes to an end, how do we understand our place in the universe, our place in God's plan? Does our life have meaning? And if so, where does that meaning to be found? It wasn't only for sentimental reasons that I wanted to use the King James Bible. There is a translation in the King James that I like better than the Bible that you read from yourselves. I like the elegant uh, vocabulary of the Old English, but it's not that I agree with the fellow who objected to any modern translation of the Bible on the grounds that if the King James Version of the Bible had been good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was good enough for him. So here's where the confusion comes. The, the verse is this. We spend our lives as a tale that is told. And that's what has captured me. The, the Revised Standard reads, we, our lives come to an end as, a, end as a sigh. But I love the idea of our spending our lives as a story, as a tale that is told, not the tale of which Shakespeare's Macbeth speaks with such despondency, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing but a story that has a purpose and a plot and an inherent meaning that not even the most daunting circumstances can ever fully diminish or erase. We live our lives as a tale that is told. It's not that our years proceed in a mechanical succession of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Our years do not stack up like saucers on a shelf. Each chapter is part of a larger and more expansive story. We live our lives as a tale that is told. And our lives are a part of the great story the story of the God who created the universe, the God who, when we messed up, we human beings, decided, listen, there's nothing for them now except for me to get on down there and see if I can straighten them out because they can't help themselves. And so God became flesh and dwelt among us.
and his son gave his whole life so that we might have life eternally. Eternal God, eternal son, human beings with a meaningful life on this earth and through Christ, a further life to come. For us now, we live on a temporal stage and the backdrop, the scenery, all that surrounds us on that stage is not just time, but eternity. There are two things I I want to say today. I hope you will remember them. Human life is essentially very good. It is inherently good. And the second thing is that human life is inherently finite. Even if in these days of artificial intelligence and robots and so on and so forth and cloning, even if we can figure out how to extend life, life on this earth will never extend eternally. Why? Because we are mortal. And to be mortal is to live a life that comes to an end. Who is immortal? Only God. Only God is immortal. To realize the fact that our lives come to an end is not to be depressed or to diminish diminish the quality of human existence. It's just the opposite. If we know that this life is a precious gift that came from God and that life on this earth will end, if we have any sense about us, we will learn that our, how does the psalmist put it, that we will learn to number our days that we might have the heart of wisdom. I would put it this way. We learn that our days are numbered and therefore we have a heart of wisdom. We don't take life for granted or people for granted. And we don't get up in the morning groaning about how our backs hurt, even though they do, uh, but grateful that we're breathing in and out, that people care about us, that there's a cardinal sitting in the bush outside the window, that the dog wants to sit in your lap. Life is inherently good, and we have a moral duty to appreciate it. The 90th Psalm, interestingly, is the only psalm out of the 150 that is attributed to Moses, not David, but to Moses. And tradition has the setting of Moses making this beautiful, eloquent statement is Mount Nebo. It's the mountain that overlooks the promised land. Moses has led the children of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness. And there it is, 
And God leads him to the top of Mount Nebo and says, look here. He shows Moses the whole land, Gilead, Judah, the Negeb, the valley of Jericho, all of it. And then the Lord says to Moses, this is the land I swore to Abraham and Sarah and Jacob, and there it is. But stunningly, the Lord says, I'm quoting now from Deuteronomy, you have, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over and ever put your foot in the promised land. Wow. I'd have been a little irritated, to tell you the truth, after 40 years. Maybe depressed, maybe feeling as if I'd been cheated of the great accomplishment of my life. But Moses didn't. Moses' heart is full of praise to the Lord. He stands drinking in the beauty of the horizon that lies before him. And he realizes, yes, he too is finite. His life dream and mission will not be completed by him. He did his part. He got them there. But now others will cross over into the promised land. You know, we were created for a purpose, each of us, you and you and I, we all are here, created by God to do the one unique thing God wants us to do. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have a purpose. For Moses, it was a pretty grand purpose. He's to take God's people to the promised land. Others of us don't have such grand plans. But God didn't think this earth would be complete without each of you or me. And you won't ever get to the promised land, whatever yours looks like, and I won't either. But while we're alive, we do our part, don't we? We find our gifts, and we use them. And we understand that the time will come that we'll be gone, but others will carry on. I, I once asked a Catholic sister, friend of mine, Sister Joan, who worked very hard in the Catholic Church and in her order why she spent so much of her energy working for the ordination of women in the Roman Catholic Church. And Sister Joan sort of chuckled. And she said, well, I know it won't happen in my lifetime or the next or the next, but it will happen. And I will know and I will be so grateful that I had been able, when I was on this earth, to do my little part. That's it. That's it. Our lives have purpose. 
Our lives are a story, a part of a larger story, of a tale that is told. Yes, our days are numbered, and so we better get on with what we're on this earth to do. Remember Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town. And Emily, the wonderful, wonderful young woman who dies tragically in childbirth. And the way the play is staged, Emily goes to the cemetery, and there she has a conversation with, quote, the stage manager, who is sort of a fill-in for the Lord in this play. And she says, could you, could you grant me just one wish? I'd love to go back and relive my, my 12th birthday. The stage manager says, of course. And in the next scene, we see her coming down the stairs the morning of her birthday. Her mother is waiting for her. Well, good morning and happy birthday to you, my love. Their presents on the kitchen table, but I want you to eat your cereal and eat slow. I want you to grow up and be a good, strong person. She eats her breakfast, then she starts to open her gifts, and then she hears and we hear a voice off stage saying, Where's my girl? Where's my birthday girl? And Emily says to the stage manager, please take me back to the cemetery. I can't go on. It all goes so fast I didn't realize. Goodbye to the sound of clocks ticking and to Mama's sunflowers. Goodbye to fresh iron dresses and hot baths. And she asks the stage manager, do human beings realize life while they're living it? And he answers, no, maybe a few poets and a few prophets and some of the saints. Well, I'm here to help you and me wake up to the preciousness of life. I love this piece I came across some years ago. A professor at a college in Bowling Green, Kentucky writes that after a storm, a beautiful summer storm, he and his daughters went out to the front porch and sat for the first time at night, for the first time in years, soaking up the soft, cool breezes that followed in the wake of the storm. We, we talked, we argued about religion, we told stories, we talked about family members long dead. Turned out I hadn't ever told the girls about my great-uncle, Uncle Goob Tally, who was entirely bald, but who had three hairs that grew just over his left ear, and how he was famous for combing those three hairs all the way over his head. 
to the right ear. And we all laughed, and I looked in the faces of my girls, and I thought I saw in them the image of my father. And I realized that if my life had meant nothing else, it would have been more than enough, generation to generation. Thou art God. Life is very good. One more story. It's a personal one. The whole time my children were growing up, my husband's family rented a house on the beach at Jekyll Island. So we have many Jekyll Island wonderful memories. And I remember the year we came, it was 1976, because we all had brought colonial costumes to dress up to celebrate the centennial, bicentennial. But we got there first, and we got busy, Al and I, and our daughter Elizabeth, who was about six or seven, taking stuff in the house and putting the food in the kitchen. And after a while, I said to Al, where is Sam? That was our four-year-old. And Al said, I don't know. I thought he was with you. I said, no, I thought he was with you. Well, we went into a panic, of course. We hollered all up and down the house and up and down the street, and no Sam, no Sam, no Sam. I remember running on the beach at Jekyll Island, hollering his name, and the wind just snatching the words out of my mouth. We finally found him a quarter of a mile away in someone's yard. He was sitting, crying, his feet full of sand spurs. We tell that story still. We tell it and laugh. We tell it also with tears and with gratitude for the lesson it teaches us that life is tenuous and life is precious and life is a gift beyond measure, never to be taken for granted. The 90th Psalm tells us that human years are like grass that fades in the evening or dreams that are swept away at waking. It tells us that our one true dwelling place is God, God whose love and dreams are the only thing that lasts forever. I leave you with a suggestion from the poet William Butler Yeats. And pluck and pluck till time and times are done the silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. May your hands and mine be open 
to receive the gold and silver apples. And the always wonderful, always bounteous, everlasting love of God. The name of the creator and the sustainer and the savior. Amen.